This morning, God's word comes to us from Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians 4. We're going to begin our reading at verse 17 and then read through verse 2 of chapter 5. Ephesians 4, beginning at verse 17. What we hear now is God's word. Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do, in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God, because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learned Christ, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him, as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger, and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Here we end the reading of God's holy word. I invite you to turn to the back of the Trinity Psalter hymnal to page 888 in the back section. This is Heidelberg Catechism, Lord's Day 33. And this morning I'll read those questions and answers for you. From page 888, Lord's Day 33, question 88, what is involved in genuine repentance (coughs) or conversion? The answer, the two things, the dying away of the old self and the rising to life of the new. What is the dying away of the old self? To be genuinely sorry for sin and more and more to hate it and run away from it? What is the rising to life of the new self? Wholehearted joy in God through Christ, and a love and delight to live according to the will of God, 
by doing every kind of good work. But what are good works? Only those which are done out of true faith, conform to God's law, and are done for His glory, and not those based on our own opinion or human tradition. Well, last week we noticed that we are entering into the third section of the Heidelberg Catechism, preparing to study the law of God, that law which God has given us to teach us how we are to live, to show us the path of righteousness. And we said last week, and I'll say again this week, and I'm sure we'll continue to say, our understanding of the law, we must be reminded that it comes from a place of gratitude. We do not keep the law in order that we will be saved. We strive to keep the law because we have been saved, because of what Christ has done for us. We want to respond to God with grateful living. This morning, the Catechism in Lord's Day 33 begins with a very simple but yet profound question. What is involved in genuine repentance or conversion. Before going into a study of the law, that's the question that's asked. What is involved in genuine repentance or conversion? And we see the connection to the law when we understand those words the way the catechism uses them. I think we tend to talk about repentance and conversion a little differently than the way the catechism does here. We might think of someone being converted as a one-time event. Perhaps someone went and heard some uh, famous uh, evangelist or speaker, and the gospel call was given, and that call was responded to by the power of the Spirit, and we say, that person was converted. And we tend to think of that as a one-time thing. When the Catechism talks about genuine repentance and conversion, It is not talking about a single event, but talking about an ongoing way of life. We are to daily be converted. We are to daily be repenting of our sins, a genuine repentance. And so that's when we talk about the catechism's use of these terms. It's not a one-time thing we're talking about, but an ongoing lifestyle to live a life of genuine repentance. Paul is going to talk about the same thing in Ephesians chapter 4 as he talks about putting off the old self and putting on the new self, an ongoing way of life. How is it that we live as believers? And I think that's the first thing we have to notice. To whom is Paul writing? Is Paul writing here to those who are outside the church, hoping they will repent and be converted? Or is he writing to those inside the church? Well, it is the latter. Paul is writing to the saints and saying to them they must put off the old way of life and put on the new way of life. It is written to those inside the church. It is a letter written for us. How is it that we are to live as children of God? All of us are called to this life of genuine repentance. I think it's easy for us in our minds, at least it's easy for me, 
to somewhat make a hierarchy of sins. You know, some sins are really, really, really bad, and some sins, not so bad. Some people are really, really terrible because of what they do. Some people, oh, that's they're just the way they are. This call to genuine repentance and conversion comes to everyone, comes to all of us, not just the, the really big sinners. What does Paul say in verse 25? Therefore, having put off falsehood, let each one speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are all members of each other. It's a call to each of us to a life of daily repentance and conversion. Not just, not just the really big sinners, but all of us who recognize our sin are called to this ongoing, genuine repentance. We're called to recognize our fallenness, recognize our sinfulness, not think that we are righteous in ourselves. I read earlier from, from Matthew chapter 5 about the Pharisees. The Pharisees who were so righteous the Pharisees who not only kept the Ten Commandments, but the Pharisees who had 613 particular laws that they would be careful to keep. They were righteous in themselves, thinking that their righteousness could somehow earn favor with God. No, even, even that meticulous life, Jesus says you, have a, you must have a righteousness beyond that, a righteousness which only He can accomplish. We recognize all of us, our need for a Savior, all of us have fallen short. Even the most righteous life that we live is not sufficient for God's standard of holiness. All of us are called to this life. All of us are called to repentance in every part of our life. Not just our external actions, that we look good, but it must flow from inside. It must flow from our heart. What does Paul say in verse 17? Now I say this to you and testify in the Lord, you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding. They have ignorance in their heart, a hardness of heart. These are internal things because from inside will flow our outside actions. We're to be internally converted our hearts changed so that in every part of our life we will live this genuine repentance and conversion. We'll live it at home as families, as husbands and wives, treating each other as, as God would have us. We'll live it as a church body, living together with each other in spite of the fact we are all sinners, we are all fallen. We will live as brothers and sisters in the Lord. We'll live it in our gatherings, social gatherings with our neighbors, with our friends, a life that, that reflects God is at work. He has changed our heart. We are daily repenting and being converted, living for Him. We'll do this every day, and we'll start today. You know, it's easy to hear something like this. Is, this sounds like a great life, this life of genuine repentance, this life of conversion. You know, I really should do that. I really should be more serious, more diligent in my walk with the Lord. I think I'll start that tomorrow. Today is the day of salvation. Today, God calls out to us to live for Him starting now. 
The Spirit is at work here, in this place. The Spirit is at work now, changing hearts. We leave from this place prepared to to live in a way that is pleasing to God. All of us called to be daily, genuinely repenting and being converted. Don't put off this call of God, but by His Spirit, begin walking this way today. The Catechism, I think, is at its best here when it explains uh, what's involved in genuine repentance and conversion. Two things, the dying away of the old self and the rising to life of the new self. Paul says in verse 20, that is not the way you learn Christ, assuming that you were taught about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. Paul calls us to put off the old self. The Catechism uses the terms the dying away of the old self. Children, what does it mean to put off the old self? Now, I know what it means to to put off a jacket. If I want to take my jacket off, I unbutton the button, and I take off one sleeve and take off the other sleeve. That's putting off a jacket. What does it mean to put off the old self? And here our catechism, again, is very helpful to us. It begins by saying we must be genuinely sorry for our sins. Again, sorrow, an attitude of the heart. And we will be genuinely sorry when we recognize the seriousness of our sin. It's so easy for us to excuse ourselves for the sinful actions, the sinful thoughts that we have. We will be sorry for sins when we recognize the seriousness of our sin. It is an offense against a holy God. All our sin, an offense against God, a breaking of His holy, righteous law. We sometimes rather than being offended by our sin, we develop a peaceful coexistence with our sin. We learn to get along with our sin. Now we're to recognize all sin, every sin, is an offense against God. We must not return to those sins, but to change our ways. Now, kids, maybe sometimes in your house, you might fight with your brother or your sister. Maybe that happens in your house. Maybe, you know, maybe there was a time where you were just sitting quietly like an angel, playing with a toy on the floor, and then your brother or sister walked in, and they just started picking on you. They started saying things to you and kind of poking you in the arm, and they just started picking on you and picking on you, and finally, finally you called out, Mom, Mom! He's picking on me. Mom comes in and and says, you need to say you're sorry to your sister. And brother goes, yeah, I'm sorry, sister. Mom walks out, and she walks out, and he starts doing it again. He starts poking you and picking on you, and you say, Mom, Mom, he's still doing it. And Mom comes back in and says, you have to say you're sorry to your sister. And you go, yeah, sure, I'm sorry, sister. And Mom barely has her back turned. And he's starting again. Now, do you think he really was sorry? Do you think he really was sorry? If he was sorry, he wouldn't do it again. 
If he was sorry, he wouldn't go back to, to that sin once again. That is to be genuinely sorry for our sin, turning away from it. The Catechism uses the words hating our sin more and more. Do we hate our sin? Now, there are not many things in life that I would say I hate. But there is one thing I hate. I hate going to the dentist. I absolutely hate going to the dentist. I hate having a filling because they use needles and all that kind of stuff. And I would rather do anything else than have to go to the dentist. I'd rather do anything else. That needs to be our attitude toward our sin. That we would rather do anything else than return to that sin again. We need to hate it more and more. All of our sin, even the sins that we enjoy, that is the dying away of the old self. We are to hate our sin, and the Catechism even uses the phrase to run away from our sin. Put ourselves someplace else. I think the classic example of running away from sin in the Bible has to be in the life of Joseph. Remember Joseph's children, how Joseph was sold off into slavery, and then later gets, uh, he's serving in Potiphar's house, and Potiphar's wife tries to get Joseph to commit sin with her, and Joseph says no, and finally one day uh, she actually grabs onto him, and he runs away, leaving his coat behind. He runs away. That's running away from sin, putting distance between ourself and our sin. We often know where it is we are tempted. We know where those temptations take place. We need to put distance between ourself and our sin. If you are in a, in a dating relationship and you find that spending time alone with the person you are dating is tempting you into sin, then, then this is not the time for a theological abstraction about the nature of sin. This is time to get away. It's time to run away, to put distance between you and the temptation. That is to, to put off the old self. That is the dying away of the old self. Again, Paul says, put off your old self which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. And, he says, to be renewed in the spirit of your mind and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. As we put off the old self, as we daily are dying away to the old self, we are also putting on, we are coming to life, we are rising to life of the new self. And how does the Catechism describe that? What is that rising to life? It is a wholehearted joy in God through Christ and a love and delight to live according to the will of God by doing every kind of good work. It is a joy in God and a love and delight to do good works. Keeping the law is not a burden for us. It is our joy. 
It is our delight. As that, as that rising to life of the new self begins to live more and more in, it, in us. Put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Saying no to sin, saying yes to the ways of God. This is our daily conversion. This is our daily repentance that God calls us to. And Paul gives us these beautiful examples of putting off one thing and putting on another. Verse 25, therefore, having put away falsehood, let each of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we're members of one another. Stop lying. Stop using falsehood, Paul says. Instead, tell the truth. We are the dying away of the old self, the rising to life of the new self. He goes on in verse 28. Let the thief no longer steal, Rather, let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands. So he may have something to share with those in need. Not stealing, but working. Verse 29. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. Not that corrupting, tearing down talk, but the talk which builds up the dying of the old self, the rising to life of the new. Verse 31, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. And he says, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself for us a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Jesus Christ offered up himself a fragrant offering and sacrifice. And when we, in response to what he has done, offer up our good works, they are like a fragrant sacrifice offered to God in thanksgiving for what he has done. The dying away of the old self, the rising to life of the new, left to ourselves, we are not able. This is the work of God. This is the work of His Spirit within us. And God strengthens us for this task. He strengthens us through His Word, and He strengthens us through the Holy Supper. We come this morning to eat and to drink this spiritual food and drink. And God uses these means to strengthen us spiritually. That as we leave this place, we can, we can commit to that genuine repentance, that ongoing conversion, as God's Spirit continues to dwell in us and to encourage us and to strengthen us. God gives us these means, the bread and the wine, the body and blood of Christ, that Jesus Christ who was offered up on a cross to secure the salvation of each and every one of his people and then brings us his spirit that we might live in a way that is pleasing to him. Genuine repentance and conversion. Not a one-time event, but an ongoing way of life as God by his spirit helps us to say no, the dying away of the old self to hate our sin more and more, to run away from it. And as God, by His Spirit, continues to raise us to new life, a joy 
a delight to keep the law of God and to live in ways that are pleasing to him. May God use his word. May God, by his spirit, strengthen us for the call he's given to each and every one of his children. Let's join together in prayer. Lord our God, we thank you and we praise you for your word. A word which so beautifully, so clearly tells us of the work of Jesus Christ, that he has done everything necessary for our salvation. We are simply called to put our faith in him. And yet having done that, O oh God, your spirit now dwells in us. And you call us to live in a way that is pleasing to you. Strengthen us. We are weak and we are frail. Strengthen us by your Holy Spirit that daily we might see in our lives the dying away and the rising to life. And this for your honor and for your glory. Hear us, O God, for Jesus' sake. Amen. I invite you to turn to the back of the praise book to page 45 in the back section as we prepare to come to the Lord's table. Reading from page 45 under where it says, celebrating our salvation in Christ. Let us also consider the purpose for which our Lord has instituted his supper, that we should do this in remembrance of him. And this is how we remember him by it. First, let us be fully persuaded in our hearts that our Lord Jesus Christ, according to the promises made to our forefathers in the Old Testament, was sent by the Father into this world, that he assumed our flesh and blood, that he took upon himself for us the wrath of God, under which we should have perished eternally, that from the beginning of his incarnation until the end of his life on earth, he fulfilled for us all obedience and righteousness of the divine law. This was especially evident when the weight of our sins and of the wrath of God caused him to sweat drops of blood in the garden. He was bound so that we might be loosed from our sins. And afterward, he suffered countless insults so that we might never be put to shame. Let us confidently believe that he was innocent yet put to death, that we might be acquitted on the day of judgment, that he even allowed his own blessed body to be nailed to the cross so as to cancel the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. In doing so, he took from us the curse and bore it himself so that he might fill us with his blessing. He humbled himself to the very deepest reproach and anguish of hell in body and soul on the cross when he cried out with a loud voice, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He did all of this so that we might be accepted by God, never to be rejected by him. Indeed, with his death and the shedding of his blood, he confirmed the new and eternal covenant the covenant of grace and reconciliation, when he said, it is finished. In order that we might firmly believe that we belong to this covenant of grace, during the Last Supper, Jesus took bread, 
and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, take, eat, this is my body. And he took a cup, when he had given thanks, he gave it to them saying, drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. That is, as often as you eat of this bread and drink of this cup, as a sure reminder and pledge, you shall be admonished and assured of my great love and faithfulness toward you. Because you otherwise would have suffered eternal death, I give my body and blood for you in my death on the cross. And as certainly as this bread is broken before you and this cup given to you and with your mouth you eat and drink in remembrance of me, so surely do I nourish and refresh for everlasting life your hungry and thirsty souls with my crucified body and shed blood. From the institution of this Holy Supper of our Lord Jesus Christ, we see that he directs our faith to his perfect sacrifice, once offered on the cross as the only foundation of our salvation. By this sacrifice, he has become to our hungry and thirsty souls the true food and drink of life eternal. For by his death, he has taken away the cause of our eternal death and misery, our sin. He has also obtained for us the life-giving spirit who dwells in Christ our head and enables us who are his members to have communion with him and be partakers of his riches, including eternal life, righteousness, and glory. Besides, by this same spirit, we are also united as members of one body in true Christian love. As the apostle says, because there is one bread, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one bread. As many grains are ground to prepare one loaf of bread, and as many grapes are pressed together to produce wine, so we who by true faith are incorporated into Christ shall be one body through Christian love for the sake of our dear Savior Jesus Christ. He loved us so greatly in order that we might show his love toward one another, not only in words, but also in deeds. May the almighty, merciful God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ help us in this through his spirit, amen. That we may obtain all these blessings, let us humble ourselves before God with true faith, implore him for his grace. Let's pray together. Merciful God and Father, we cherish the blessed memory of the death and suffering of your dear Son, Jesus Christ. We ask that in this supper, you will so work in our hearts through the Holy Spirit, that with true confidence, we might give ourselves up more and more unto your Son, Jesus Christ. We pray that this might allow our burdened and contrite hearts to be nourished and refreshed with the true body and blood of him who is true God and true man, the only heavenly bread. Empower us to no longer live in our sins, knowing that he lives in us and we in him. May we truly be partakers of the new and everlasting covenant of grace. May we not doubt that you will forever be our gracious Father, who does not impute the guilt of our sins to us, 
and who provides us with all that we need for body and soul as your dear children and heirs. Grant us also your grace that we may take up our cross cheerfully, deny ourselves, confess our Savior, and in all tribulation, with uplifted head, expect our Lord Jesus Christ from heaven. There he will make our mortal bodies like unto his glorified body and take us to be with him in eternity. Answer us, O God, merciful Father, through your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. By this 